the memory of Jared Orchen, and today we're going to learn the Aftora of Parshat Metzora. The Aftora of Parshat Metzora is a story, Metzora, the Parsha, is about leprosy. The Aftora is, is speaking about the same concept. Then, uh, the Aftora is from the Book of Kings. We learned, it's really a little bit of a continuation to last week's Aftora, of Parshat Tazria. We learned last week about Elisha, the prophet Elisha. This story, the page is in 1161. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you the page. Last week we learned about Elisha, the prophet, who made unbelievable miracles. And one of the miracles is that he cured the general of Aram, Naaman, right? And Naaman wanted to pay him for it. And he said, no, I will not take money from you. He begged them. He said, no. He wanted to make a point. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a God made a miracle, not him made a miracle. You don't pay for it. And then we read, then later, it's not in the Aftorah, but it's in the book of Kings, that Gehazi, Elisha's, Attendants, secretary, Shamesh, run after uh, Naaman, and he told them there were two boys who came from uh, another place to the yeshiva, and my master said if you can give them two suits and two this and two this, he gave it to him. And Elisha took it, I was hiding it somewhere, and then he came back to his rabbi. Told them, you did this? This was the time to go to take for me money? The leprosy of the Tzoraz of, Na of Naaman should go on you and your children. They came out from him completely leopard. What? Who is Jewish? Uh, are Jews, are non-Jews non getting leprosy? You see, Naaman was not a Jew. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, a godly punishment. It's a, it's a spiritual punishment. And who? So? That non-Jews cannot get spiritual that, punishment? What? That, uh, no, I'm, you have I, to be a very special non-Jew to get a spiritual punishment. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if God really loves you, he shows you the way. <laughs> punishment by God is not, is not a punishment. It's a wake-up call. Especially in the Tzaraz, what's a, what, how was leprosy? Such an interesting point that you mentioned. Used to be when somebody used to speak Loshinore or speak evil or do something bad. First will show up leprosy, shows up leprosy on his walls from his house. If he's doing, if he's repenting, if he stops his bad behavior, then good. If he continues, it goes on his, on his clothing. If he stops his bad behavior, he only has to burn his clothing, but that's it. If he doesn't get it, if he doesn't get the message that God left him on his answering machine, then it gets on his skin. If he gets them, he's been quarantined for two weeks. If he gets it, fine. If not, it's get another two weeks. You understand? It's a way of communicating a message. God doesn't punish people. God wants people to be good. That is trying to direct them, to tell them what they do wrong, and in this way they can do good. It, that's confusing a little bit because the Torah has it the opposite a little bit. It no, the Torah with, doesn't. It starts off with the leprosy, then it goes to the clothing, then it goes to the... The order in the... In this, but the way it actually happened was in the other direction. The Torah starts with the more strict one and goes to the more lenient one. But it does mean that in order of time it was like this. Maimonides actually writes it. 
It was first on the, on the, on the house, then on the clothing, closer to you, then on your skin, gets closer and closer. But the idea is that it's a message from God. There was a famous story about the first Chabad Rebbe when he was arrested and he was on the way to jail. They arrested him Thursday night. On Friday, he tells the officer, I'm not traveling on Shabbos. The guy tells him, <laughs> you forgot who is the boss here. You're the prisoner. They continue to travel and something breaks in the, in the, in the, in the wagon. He, the officer is not afraid from it. Afraid of it, he's not impressed by it. He sent somebody from the neighboring village to fix it. They travel a little further. One of the horses dies. Suddenly, he, he buys another horse, he changes the horse, and he continues. Then they just got scared, they heard noise, they got scared, they, they also stopped moving. But then he realized that the Rebbe is a holy man, and if he doesn't want to travel a Shabbos, it's just not going to happen. And he said, well, what should, can we go to the neighboring village? He said, no, it's too far. Just go off the road? He says, yeah. And what was, the, the Rebbe didn't want to punish him, he didn't want to, it was like, leave him a message. It's breaking down. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should think about, oh, you know, it's stubborn. Another message, a third message, until you get it. Then there is no punishment. The same thing, especially on, on leprosy, was a spiritual punishment. It was pure to correct him. Look, Naaman became a believer in God. Right after the story with Naaman, it was a famine in Israel. It was a famine to such a point, it was a famine in the kingdom of Israel. Shomron was the main city. And around Shomron was a Aram, actually a short time after that, for some reason, the, the same, uh, the, the king of Aram came and made a siege around the city of Samaria. Shomron. And a siege, to, a siege brings to, to famine. If there is no, you cannot bring food in and out, it's getting worse and worse. And the king went on the street to see what's going on. And one woman stops him and tells him a horrible story. She tells him, hey, king, we came to, we, we need your judgment. What's the judgment? Says, my, me and my friend made up that one day will cook my, uh, she will cook your child and share with his friend. And the next day she will cook your child and share with him. So then it came to, I, I lived up to my, my promise. She didn't love, live up to her side of the deal. And the king heard that he tore his clothing. He was so upset. Because that's what's written in the Bible. God forbid that one of the curses that mothers will eat their children's... Uh, it's interesting to know that during the Holocaust, the Jews never lost their image of humanity. They never reached to, cabinet, uh, cannibal, to be cannibals. They never reached to this le lower level. No matter what happened, the Jewish people kept the image of God on them. And it's, it's, it's a huge testimony to, to level of, a level of spirituality and morality that the Jewish people have arrived in this generation. Then the king was so upset, he says, I'm going to take off the head of Elisha, the prophet. He can pray for us, he can do for us. And there is other reasons, because it was before our whole story that he, he saved some Aramean, Aramean uh, soldiers, and, uh, they, and he said not to hurt them, and, and, he, and the king blamed them about it. In any case, he said, I'm going to kill him. Elisha is sitting in his house with his disciples, with his old, with the elders. He says, the son of this, of the, the, uh, the, the son of the murderer is coming to kill me. The son of the murderer called the king, who was a son of the bad king, Yoram, the son of Ahab, right? 
says, the son of the murderer is coming to kill me. All the door, something like this. The king arrived. He said, told his people, what's going to be? The king arrived with a, with a secretary, with a right-hand guy. Came to kill the prophet. The Jewish king, who just not long ago saw that the prophet speaks in the name. And why he wants to kill him? Because he doesn't pray to God to stop the famine. If you believe in, in the prophet, that he has powers with God to stop a famine, you're going to kill him. Tell him to pray. Well, you kill him. If God, if, God, if God listens to him, he can protect him too. As he walks in, the, the, God, the prophet tells him, so says God, tomorrow will be a, a pound of solid, uh, a power of wheat, uh, a pound, let's say a pound of wheat for a shekel. Will be very cheap, and and barley will be for for uh, two two pounds for a shekel. It's going to be everything cheap. Will be food no end. The king was like, "Wow, doesn't tomorrow this time? Twenty four hours? It's going to be everything." Then the shalish, the secretary says, "Impossible. Even if God opens the heavens and it starts to rain, it was a it was a it was a drought for a few for a long time in in Israel." How can, how can the wheat grow so fast? The, the, what basically he said, what he said was, I don't believe you. We have to kill you. He didn't want to give up on the, on the agenda. They had an agenda to kill him. The king here tomorrow is going to be good. He, was, he, was, he wouldn't mind to wait for, the, for 24 hours. His helper was all the way ready to go. The prophet looked at him and he told him, you will see it with your eyes and you will not be able to benefit from it. And here starts a story. Here comes the, the our part of the of the Aftarah. Page eleven sixty one, number three. Now there were four lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why should we sit here until we die? Okay, who are the four lepers? Who are the four lepers? Gehazi and his three sons. That's what the Talmud says. And the prophet told them, in you and your children, it would be the leprosy. A leopard was quarantined outside of the city. There is a famine in the city. You can imagine that nobody's thinking about the leopards or sitting outside the city. They are dying from hunger like nothing. If, 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 the, if the king has nothing to eat, the leopards are the outcast of the community. Therefore, sure nobody cares for them. They, they said to each other, why should we sit here until we die? What's the point? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. <clears throat> if we remain here, we will also die. Come, therefore, let us go over to the Aramean camp. If they spare our lives, we will live, and if they kill us, we will simply die. They said like this, around the city was a, was a, was a, a siege. The old Aramean, Aramean um, camp soldiers were around the, around the, the, the city. Mm-hmm. Going back to the city, said, what's the point? Everybody is dying from Mongolia. There's no food. Sitting here will die. We're sitting here. They were sitting by the gate of the city. Basically, the, the wall was very wide. And under the wall, they were sitting there by themselves, four people waiting to die. So what's the point? Let's go there. Or they kill us, kill us. We have nothing to lose. That's what they said. They arose at twilight to go to the Aramean camp. 
But when they came to the outer edge of the Aramean camp, behold, not a man was there. Nobody was there. <coughs> they came to the Aramean camp, and there is nobody to be seen. An empty camp. The camp is like left. The people run away, as he's going to tell us, to continue to tell us. Go ahead. For God had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of the chariots and horses, the sound of a great army. Here, the person who wrote this book, who wrote Melachim? Um, uh, the prophet uh, Samuel? Samuel wrote uh, He wrote, wrote the book. No. Samuel. Oh, right. Huh? God and Novi? God and Novi. Then one of the prophets writes it, he is insert, it's an insert here. We, nobody was there to hear what happened. It tells us from God what happened there. <laughs> God made the people of, of Aram, the soldiers of Aram, hear noises. So they said to him, they heard noises like there is a whole army coming in there. And they got so scared that what happened? Uh, variation on Gideon, the story of Gideon here. Uh, so they said to one another, the king of Israel has hired against, uh, against us the kings of the Hittites and the Egyptians to come against us. So they they believed that what became a coalition, that the, that the Egyptians and the Hittites are all joining the king of Israel to come to fight the king of the army of Aram. Aram was like Syria. That he thought that Egypt and the Hittite joined Israel to fight Aram. That's what they felt. They thought it was killed off. Go ahead. So they arose and fled in the twilight, leaving their tents, horses, asses in the camp, just as it was, and fled for their lives. Everything was left also. Everything was tied. They just left it. It's like somebody who leaves his house. I mean, I heard a, I heard a story that a guy in, in benevolence, I don't know, one of the European countries that they were taken by the, by the, by the uh, Nazis. They came back two years later at and the, and the kitchen table or on the stove was growing from a potato or something grew up like a tree because nobody touched the house. They left the food on the, on the, on the, on the, on the stove and nobody touched the house. The neighbors never walked in, nothing, nobody touched the house. Then they came back and grow something. <laughs> That's what really happened there. They left, they run away. They left everything as it is in the morning. He says, Neshef, he says, twilight. Some people say, okay, and at night, yeah. Was When these lepers came to the outer edge of the camp, they entered a tent, ate and drank, took from their silver gold and clothing, and went and hid. They then, then they returned and entered another tent, took from there also, and went and hid them. Okay. Then here, this behavior reminds us Gehazi, Gehazi also took from Naaman, and he was hiding the, the goods. Here, they went, they ate and they drank, they filled up their needs. But not only this, they took silver and gold and clothing, and they were hiding once, twice. And there was, and that was a satisfaction. There was enough. Then they were thinking to, they telling to each other, go ahead. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we are silent. If we wait until morning, punishment will overtake us. Come, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. He said such a day, it's a yom, yom psora. It's a day of good news, good tidings. Then there is food, there is people who are dying in, 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 in the city of, of Shamron. 
in Samaria. And we are not telling, we are not going and sharing the big news. Will be, a, will be a punishment, will be a sin will be for us if we don't do it. Let's go and, and, and tell him. Let's, let us go and, and tell the king's answer. Okay, number 10. They came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, We went to the Aramean camp, and behold, not a man was seen or heard, only the horse and ass tied, and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called and told it to the king's household within. They came to the gatekeepers, they cannot go back to the city because the city is closed. They are quarantined, they are, they are leopards. But they came, they told the, the, gate, the gatekeepers, they run to the king and they told them the news. <coughs> See how the king is, is reacting. Go ahead. The king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have left the camp and hidden themselves in the field, thinking, when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and enter the city. What is he saying? The king says, oh, they're preparing an ambush for us. They were going out of their own camp, and they're waiting for us. They know that we are hungry, that we are weak. We will run there, and then they will, will be like, we'll be slaughtered. Isn't the king had a similar reaction in the last weeks of Torah? When, when, uh, when Naaman came with a letter from the king of Aram, and the king writes there, give the person who brings the letter, give Naaman, cure Naaman. And he right away said, oh, he's looking for a pretext to go to fight, to fight with me. He's looking for a reason to start a war with me. What, I'm God? How can I cure people? He tore his clothing. The same paranoia is going on here. Don't forget that the king heard from the prophet yesterday that tomorrow is going to be a great miracle. He didn't know what, and now that he should have a little more faith that maybe something, there is a turning point here. But he, he didn't. He, he didn't believe. He doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. And therefore he was, oh, they're going to hurt us, they're going to, they're preparing an ambush against us. Very negative uh, outlook on life. But he had, he had a point. <laughs> I cannot say he didn't. Okay. One of his servants answered, Let some men take five of the remaining horses in the city, behold. They are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, they are all they are as all the multitude of Israel that are consumed. Let us send and see. He said basically we left only five horses. And we'll send some of them and we'll check things out. Just like the a servant told Naaman. He, Naaman wanted to go home, right? Oh, I need the water of the Jordan. I'm a chochem. I, we have, we, in Damascus, we have better water. He told them, go, give it a chance. The same thing is a servant here. A servant tells them, okay, let's send some people. We don't have to warn all of us, but let's ch check things out. We'll see what is happening there. Okay. Who's next? Whatever. Okay. Therefore... <laughs> took two chariots with horses, and the king sent after the Armenian ar army, saying, Go and see. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Armenians had thrown away in their haste. The messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the Armenian camp. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, Oh. Two measures of barley for a shekel, according to 
Shem's work. Unbelievable. They, went, they, they followed the, all the way to the Jordan, and they saw that throughout the way they were throwing stuff because they tried to run faster, that you're trying to throw as many things as possible. When was such a thing happened in the modern society, modern history? Oh, Revolutionary War, there's a tale yeah. about this happening, and I forget which battle it is, that the British were, were leaving real quickly. ISIS. No. It's it, it just in Iraq recently. Yeah. They left all the equipment there. They, they took, took, took oh, the over. Americans, yeah. yeah. No, but in Israel, when the Arabs uh, left in, 1940, in 1967, in the war of 1948, the soldiers, you see, lines of shoes. Because the Arabs were, better, were very good runners without shoes. That when they, they fled from the Israeli army, <coughs> they left the shoes and they run. They run with nothing. And really, in 1948, one of the reasons why it was the old refugee thing is the Arab countries told their people, leave mm -hmm. Israel, leave everything, we'll go right. in, we'll destroy them, and then you come back and you, think, and you come back to your homes. Right. <laughs> Things didn't work out exactly they want. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's, what, that's what really happened there. Then they run away, the, the Jews, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites from Shomron, from the city of Samaria, run into the camp. And they took everything. It was looks like they are, it's amazing to see that the Aram camp had so much food, so much good, so much of everything. Here it was a terrible famine, and they had everything. And uh, the famine was because of the siege, exactly. And they looked like they were ready for a long time siege. Therefore, they had a lot of food. And it was exactly as the prophet said, 24 hours before that, that it's going to be a. Uh, one, one, uh, a measure of fine flour for, was sold for a shekel and two, and two measures of barley for a shekel. Just exactly as the prophet had predicted. We mentioned a few times that how we know if a prophet is a true prophet. One of the ways to prove it, that he, if he says something, it's going to be bad. And it didn't happen, there is no proof that the prophet is a false prophet. Because God can change from bad to good. God can change his mind. But um, if he said something, good will happen. And it didn't happen exactly the way he said it, then he's a false prophet. Yeah. And here, that will be, uh, happen exactly the way Elisha said it. Elisha said it's going to be one shekel for flour, and, uh, for uh, wheat, and two shekels for barley. And that's exactly what took place. Okay, number 17. The king appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to be in charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, and he died as the man of God had said. Okay, uh, yeah, just finish it. When, when, the, when king the king came, when down, the king to came him. down to him. Okay, that he said, he appointed them by the gate, probably it was like, uh, it was like Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> they did me once, I think, killed a person or something happened. I remember not long ago, a few years ago. They were, it was one of the big stores and they were zoomed in. <laughs> and they trembled somebody, I remember. I mean, uh, it's interesting what, what happens to people when they. I mean, every year in Israel there is after Pesach. People go to the pizza shops. Or the, I remember as a child, we go up next to our, we, li I live, we live next to our ba to challah bakery, just a bread bakery. After Pesach, at night, was a pogrom there. 
Choose with long white beards are fighting, punching. For what? For, for a little bread, piece of bread that is not even baked. You know, it's like the, the, the pressure was so big that to take it out as soon as possible. It was a piece of dough, really. And at that time, I was seven, eight. I used to push myself too. I want also. Now I grow up and I think to myself, it shows you where a crowd, our crowd can go crazy. For nothing. I remember the conventions, the Chabad conventions, of Chabad rabbis, years ago, they stopped doing it, they got smarter. Just to give out a souvenir, a cedar, a no cedar. A cedar. I believe every rabbi saw a cedar in his life before, actually. It's not food, it's not, it's not money. A cedar. You had to see what was going on there. It was like, oh, Christ, you never saw a cedar, was it? <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's an epidemic, it's, a, it's contagious. One runs, no, 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 no. And everybody, people go out to try to say, what, you're going to open a shul now? What, I mean, what are you guys <laughs> The same thing happened right there. But there, at least they had a good reason. They were hungry. They were starving. That this man who wanted to kill the prophet was trapped over and died. Okay. Continue. It happened. Number 18 there. It happened as the man of God said to the king, two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow last <coughs> his time in the gate of Samaria. The, 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 prophet, the prophet is repeating the story. Right? <laughs> it's, said, it's written twice, so to speak. What happened? And then it's written uh, as, the key, as the prophet said it. He repeats the story. The Talmud says... You know, there is a, there is a, in the Talmud, there is in the tractates and Edrin, there is a, a chapter that's called Chelek. Why it's called Chelek? Chapter 10. Yeah, why it's called Chelek? Doesn't that mean 10? No, no. Chelek doesn't mean 10. Chelek means a share. The Mishnah speaks on who has a share in the world to come and who doesn't. Then the, the Talmud says that somebody who doesn't believe in afterlife will not have afterlife. Somebody doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the concept of measure for measure is learned from this story. Because he didn't believe in the miracle, the miracle, he couldn't benefit from the miracle. Because he wanted to kill the prophet, he was killed. But from here and from other places in the Bible, we learn the concept of measure for measure. Why measure for measure is so important? What do you think? Justice. It's proportional justice. It says if, you act, if, you're, if you're good, you're going to get good. <laughs> good point. Because the system has to be based on earning. So you, have to, you have to work for it. You have to deserve it. Get a little more positive, guys. <laughs> Why we need measure for measure? So we could see others in, in the best light. Um. Getting somewhere. Not <laughs> what you give is what you get. Okay, but why we need it? Why? What, why God made the system? It should be measured. The Rebbe once said, that's a from my brother who was there, when the Rebbe said that, then measure for measure, you know, many punishments don't exist today. For example, it's written, your soul will be cut off. We don't see it. We see many people 
well, bad and never good life, and many good people have a bad life. Not ever, on that, most of the punishment, biblical, there is no leprosy today. But the concept of measure for measure, the Rebbe said, is still there. Why is, there me- why is it measure for measure? Why? 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 Incentive. Incentive for what? To be as good as you can. More than just incentive. Okay. God is trying to tell you, to tell me, to tell a person what he's doing wrong. That if, let's say, um, let's say God wants them to eat kosher food. That he will give them a headache, he will never know that he has to eat kosher food. But if his stomach bothers them, he said, maybe, you know, something in the stomach, maybe I should eat kosher food. Measure for measure is a way to communicate with the person. When he sees from the suffering, he can understand what God wants from him. If it wouldn't be connected, if it wouldn't be a, a reflection, uh, the reflection of it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it a connection. The cause and effect. Then God, yeah, God wants to communicate. It's for a purpose. Then you'll know what God wants from you. Then you'll correct it. Because God wants us to correct our behavior. He doesn't want to hurt us. That he just, but if he gives you uh, a punishment here for something there, you'll never make the connection. Then what God wants from me? What he wants from me? Then even, even God forbid, we don't wish on anybody any suffering. But even when people suffer, they still, it's many times it's hard for them to make the connection. But the idea behind it is, the, the, is, is that the more the connection is clear, the easier for the person is to correct it. Like Lashon Hora. Like Lashon Hora. <laughs> But then, uh, What's the punishment now? What's the measure now? The reader give an example. is not my business. <laughs> Other people are very busy. There is a story in the Bible, in the Talmud. Um, the story is about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He was after the destruction of the temple. He was writing outside of Jerusalem. And the disciples walked behind him. Suddenly, you see a girl. I don't know if I will learn that in the Talmudic discussions or not. Maybe you remember. He sees a woman who is looking in the garbage for food. As she as she gets closer, she gets up. She says, "Rabbi, I need food." She says, "Who are you, my daughter?" She says, "Rabbi, you don't remember me. I'm the daughter of Nagdimon Ben Gurion. <laughs> Nagdimon Ben Gurion was the richest man in Jerusalem, the Bill Gates of Jerusalem." Why, why should Rabbi Yochanan Mazaki remember him? A minute later, he tells the story. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaki said, what's going on here? I remember I was at your wedding, and the ketubah was a huge amount of money. The other side promised you a huge ketubah. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaki signed the ketubah. He wrote, he wrote it. He was there. He was officiating the wedding. And what happened to your father's money, to your in-law's money? What, what happened? What she told them? She told them, don't you remember the expression in Jerusalem, you have to salt the money? Why are you salting something? What's the purpose of salting something? Preserving it. So we used to be, there was an expression in Jerusalem, melach mamon chaser. Melach, the money is missing the salt. If you don't salt it, you lose it. 
The Gemara says, what does this mean, salting the money? Giving charity. And the Talmud says, the Gemara is asking, you didn't give charity? The Gemara answers, two answers. One answer I remember now, the other one maybe will come to me. More answers, he gave charity. Oh, one answer was, he did it for his own honor. He didn't do it for the sake of God. He gave a lot of charity for the sake of God. The other answer was, he gave, but not according to his means. Then, because he, then he, lo he lost his money because he didn't give charity. Then there is a, then, then you understand. If a person loses a deal, he has to ask himself, maybe Hashem wants to give me charity. But if a person loses a deal because he, because he didn't go to shul, he, he will never make the connection. So if somebody's car breaks down, says maybe I didn't take my mother to the doctor. You, you can, the idea when something go wrong, you should ask yourself, what I did wrong, what can I correct? More, that's a more correct question. It should be something you can figure this out. If I cannot figure this out, I'll never be able to reach anywhere. That's why is the concept of measure for measure. That's the positive side of measure for measure. Now, if measure for measure is so is 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 a negative, I'm much more in positive. If I do the right thing, Hashem will give me measure for measure a thousand times more. If I help another person, God will help me. There is as there is a Hasidic saying, love another Jew, God will love you. Help another Jew, God will help you. Be nice to another person. Smile to another person, God will smile to you. Then in the positive side, it's also like this. If it's, if it's working the right, the right way, you'll get it. I mean, if in every mitzvah that you do, you will get the, re, the, the reflection of the mitzvah. There is for certain mitzvahs, we know clearly what, what, is the, what is the good effect in spirituality, in the physical world. If you have a mikosha mezuzah, you have more protection. If you give charity, you, get, you, uh, you can test Hashem. It's written, it's written, the prophet says, you can, you can, in the name of God, you can test me on it. You give 10%, you get, you get 10 times more. And so on and on. Now, and the same thing is, for example, um, it's written, when we kosher food, if you eat kosher food, you, you have less uh, stomach problems. Now, somebody says, but I have still stomach problems. You, uh, there is an answer for this too. Yeah, you would have <laughs> <laughs> If not for the kosher food, it would be even much worse. <laughs> Don't worry, the rabbis are ready with every answer in the book. <laughs> Go ahead. How do you explain it then if, if somebody comes down with a chronic illness um, uh -huh. and, and no matter what they do, no matter how they change their, their life, mm -hmm. it's never going to go away? I'm talking about the concept. If you think they, they can explain everything, I'm not God and I never planned to be, never <laughs> attempted to be God's, God's lawyer. There is no explanation for suffering. I'm just saying that the concept is to not as a way to hurt people, but in a way to help people. But they still don't know what is for what in most of the cases. And you write many times a person is doing all the right things and still is suffering. And many, I mean, the whole Holocaust came is not because any, anybody did something wrong, it's behind it, and so on and on. I'm not explaining suffering and not justifying suffering. I'm just saying that the, 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 the way God operated people why it's a system is there is a concept of measure for measure is to make it easier for us to figure out what God wants from us. But it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you get off, you say, maybe I spoke too much. 
maybe you, you get an infection in your eyes, maybe you look the wrong place. I mean, there is always you can ask yourself and try to help yourself. Is it always working? No. I'm the first one to tell you. Because we are in exile, you know. Pesach is coming up. Manishtana. One of the most important questions is we ask Manishtana. Who is asking Manishtana? The youngest. The youngest child. That's what you guys think. The truth is, every one of us has to ask Manishtana. Because Manishtana is a deeper and bigger question than just what is the night different than the other night. Not only the, because in Jewish law it's written that if you, if you have a child, your child asks you. If you don't have children, your wife should ask you. If not, you should ask yourself. Really, by the Hasidic custom, and many Jews are doing it, everybody's asking Manishtana. Even you are 97 and a half, you should ask Manishtana. Because the question is much bigger. There is a Hasidic story about, I think, the Bardichever, one of the famous Hasidic rabbis, masters. He came to the table, he was sitting, and he came to Manishtana. He turns to his son. His son starts to say, Manishtana. He says, what's with the introduction? He looks, looks at him. He doesn't know. The teacher, the Melamed, sitting by the table, he was also living in the house. He turns to the Melamed, he says, why you didn't teach my son the introduction? There is an introduction in Yiddish. Father, I will ask you the four questions. Tate, ich will be defragen the vier kashes. And he says, it's not a part of the text. He's a little child. I didn't want to confuse him, you know, another line. Enough, baby, Billy makes this. <laughs> Then the Hasidic Rebbe fell in thoughts, in deep thoughts, for a while. And then he told them, oh, my, my, he told the teacher, you don't even understand what's going on. This is not, we don't ask the fair question, Father, I will ask you the full question, is not for him to ask me. We are turning the question to the Father, to our Father in heaven. Father, I will ask you four questions. What are the questions? What is different this night than any other night? And he explained. Night represents exile. Day is time of redemption. It's light, it's clear in the time of the temple. People who did good in the desert. People who did good lived. People did Korach was swallowed. Everything was clear. It was like, God did a knife. These people are against God out. These people for God in. It's very clear. You behave, you get mana, you don't behave, the mana is far away from you. Everything was very clear. Then comes time of exile. Nothing is clear. Good people suffer. Bad people have fun. It's dark. It's night. What means at night? You don't see anything. You don't see your way. You cannot, you're in, you're, you're, people say, I'm in the dark. That's what it means. I'm in the dark. I don't know what's the right way, what's the wrong way. Even more, what happens at night? You go to sleep. What happens when you sleep? You lay down. Usually when a human being stands up, his head is on top, then his is out, then his is bottom, right? By an animal, everything is on the same level. The head, the heart, everything. What is this? What, what is the difference? Why human beings are created different than animals? Because a human being has to know that his mind has to control his heart. Animals they don't have to work on anything. There's no such thing as control. You cannot tell them, hey, this is not good for you. Don't eat it. Doesn't work. Don't eat it. It will give you, will give you uh, arthritis. It doesn't work like this. The animal is instincts. It's all about instincts. Therefore, the animals don't have to think about it. The animals don't have to prepare food. They don't have to, they don't have to change anything. 
Whatever it is, naturally everything works on them. A human being, his mind, his head is above his heart. Why is the head here and not here? Because this is to control this. And that's our job. Then when a person lays down, he's not in control, so to speak. A person who is sleeping, he's not in control. He talks, he doesn't know what he's talking, he's to talk from dreams. He's not in control. He can hurt somebody by mistake, he not even mean it. Even worse, you go to sleep. What happens when you sleep? You have dreams. What is dreams? Dreams, you see things that don't make sense. You see a person that died 20 years ago, and another person in Australia, and this, this, they happen things that, that don't begin to make sense. All of this represents exile. You see things that don't make sense. Israel is the right and he's trying to save lives and trying to be careful with every life living person is accused of every of every ac accusation in the world. They are the apartheid, they are the, the abuse of human rights. And all the other countries, the human rights, they, they never heard of the world even. Nobody is, is blamed. They are holy. They are the abuse. They are the accusers of Israel. And you ask yourself, you have, you, you hope your eyes, you cannot believe it. What is going on in this in this world? It's a dream. And things that don't make sense happen. That's exile. It's night. It's dark. Nobody's in control. The brains doesn't control you or my heart. And everything that I see doesn't begin to make sense. Upside down. The right things are down. The, ba the bad things are up. The whole world is upside down. Then the question that we have in Pesach, we turn to our God in heaven and we tell to God, Father, I'll ask you the four questions. What's the first question? We, what's the introduction to the four <coughs> questions? Why is this night different than the other night? We had nights before. They were exiles before. That we were in exile for 210 years in Egypt. What it was the end? 210 years we got, we got over it. We had an exile between the first temple and the second temple, 70 years, right? Babylonian exile. It was over. We went after the second temple to exile. 1900 years, over 1900 years, and there is no end. But the question is why this night is longer than any other night? Why is this night darker than any other night? Complicated? Holocaust? Who, who, who anticipated such things? That's the question that really on Pesach we're having a conversation with God. That's why the question, <coughs> four questions, is not just between me and my child, it's all of us. And that's exile. And what I mean to say is, in the world of exile, there is no explanations of chronical diseases and explanations. And even the measure for measure doesn't work. We don't know. We know the general concept of things. But what work? What exactly? Why things happen to Mr. A and Mr. B? We have no explanations. No reason. And anybody who says who knows why is a fool. Because nobody ever, God never told you why. <coughs> and besides, <coughs> who appointed you to be God's lawyer? I'd rather be the lawyer of the people than the lawyer of God. Moses always took the, God, the side of the Jewish people, not the side of God. Elijah the prophet took the side of God. He lost his job. He started to complain to God that the Jewish people are better. He said, okay, for this I, <coughs> I didn't give you prophecy. You should complain about the Jewish people. For this you can find Elisha is the successor of Elijah. Elisha became a prophet because Elijah was complaining about the Jews. And God told them, go appoint Elisha to be the prophet and you get out. 
and you are you're basically you're done. What? When is the Agada read? Um, it's in the Talmud. There is questions of the <coughs> question, some of the questions. It's not clear who put together the whole Agada, right? Yeah, I guess the first one they officially had was uh, uh, in about uh, 900 in uh, Babylonia with Sadia Gaon. Mm -hmm. But of course, a lot, a lot of the things that we do today are, have occurred over the Middle Ages and what have you, like Elijah coming to the door, that's a new addition in about 1700. 1700? So late? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Because uh, Maimonides writes the Agada more or less the same as we have, more or less. I don't think Elijah coming to the door was in his time. I mean, listen, <laughs> Elijah coming to the door is not written in the Agada. You don't say it. Just open the door. You just open the door. Mm-hmm. There is no text in the Haggadah that says that Elijah is coming to the door. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, there's, okay. a, there's explanation. But mm-hmm. not the explanation, there is no text. Mm-hmm. The text of the Haggadah is already in my mind. It, is the, it brings the old text. My mind was 850 years ago. We don't know who was the author of the Haggadah, but you're right, 1300 years. But there is pieces of the, of before, from before that, from the time of the Talmud, the, mm-hmm. the questions mm-hmm. and other things. But um, the traditions of opening the door and putting up a cup for Elijah, this started later, yes. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the, what's the text, the text is much older than that. So, so, so if, if you mentioned that, that uh, Elijah lost his job. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I understand. But, uh, but isn't he supposed to also usher in the that's messianic age? Yeah, that's why, because he was, he was bringing bad news. God gave him the, gave the measure for measure to bring good news. And all the blessings. Oh, that ties it in. Yeah. <laughs> Just let's finish the number 19 here. Take your time. Yeah, it's you. The captain. Mm-hmm answered the man of God, saying, Now behold, if God should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. It happened that way, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. You see, there is an interesting law about Yom Kippur. Every Jew, Yom Kippur in itself has the power to atone for 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 a person's sin. The Yom Kippur in itself, it doesn't have to do anything. Yom Kippur in itself has to, can, can atone for your sin. But if a person doesn't believe in Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur cannot help him. Yom Kippur can help you if you believe in the day. If you don't believe in it, then you... D- I cannot help you. If you believe that I'm your representative, I can help you. But if, I'm not, if you fire me from being your, your lawyer, I cannot help you. What happened, with, what happened with Moses? Moses always prayed for the people. No matter what the bad thing they did. Came to the, came to the story of Korach. Moses, Moses turns to God and says, God, don't listen to the prayer. What happened? Because all the way until Korach, they complained. But they never told Moses. They never said, Moses, you're not a representative of us by God. You are a liar. They never said that. They always knew that Moses is the real connection. They can't do it. Came Korach and says, Moses, who are you? If I'm not... If you don't believe in me, in Moses, if you don't believe in Moses, then Moses cannot help you. If he didn't believe what the prophet told them, that tomorrow is going to be a salvation, that tomorrow couldn't help him. Because he didn't believe in it. If a person doesn't believe in the, in the world to come, he cannot get it. 
There is a famous story about Yohanan Kohen Gadol, a famous high priest who was in the sign of the second temple. He was a high priest for 80 years, serving in the temple, going in and out of the Holy of Holies. Obviously, he was a very holy man. And by the end of his life, he became a Sadducees. The Sadducees movement was a movement who didn't believe in afterlife. That when he died, he came to heaven. They told him, hey, Rabbi Ankel, he didn't believe in afterlife. He cannot give you afterlife. He didn't believe in it. He came back to the world as another reincarnation of Elazar ben Dodaya, a man who didn't do anything good. But before he died, he cried and cried and cried and did shuva, and he cried and he died out of crying to God. When he came to heaven, he was invited to the heaven, to Olam Abba, to afterlife. And the question is, how could he be invited to afterlife? He never did one good thing. The answer is, he had afterlife from his past life. But he needed the key. Now that he died with the belief in afterlife, he was able to benefit from the afterlife that he has. Then the number one thing is, yeah, if, you, if, if you want the doctor to help you, need to, you need to believe that the doctor can help you. If you don't believe that he cannot help you, it's not going to work. If you, if you, have to, if you want Yom Kippur to atone for you, you have to believe that Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. And that's what it's all about. We have to open ourselves and let Hashem help us. And we let Hashem help us it's instead of coming, no, it's never going to happen, I cannot walk. Open yourself up and then Hashem will open.